Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Bite Size Podcast. I'm of course FPL Nima and I'm joined by my co-host Clayton at Clates AFC on Twitter. We're here on Friday the 3rd to do the Everton preview and we're going to talk a little bit at the end just for five minutes about kind of the ideal Arsenal assets for Fantasy Premier League going into their double game week soon. So I hear you're going to the game tomorrow morning Clayton. I can't believe you keep yeah. going to all these away games. I'm very jealous. Yeah, I know. Very fortunate. Yeah, very fortunate. It's a uh, so because of the there's train strikes today in the UK, right? So um, I think the knock-on effect um, that that has tomorrow means there's no reliable trains that get in before it's a twelve thirty kickoff, right? So I'm getting the supporters coach, and that leaves the Emirates at five in the morning. So, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like after Man City, the coach. Yeah, the Man City game. I was on the coach for like twelve hours. Uh, yeah, that left at like midday. Obviously, the game was at 8 p.m. Got in at the Emirates at around half three in the morning. And then by the time I got back to my home, my house was like half four. So, yeah, tomorrow I'll probably set my alarm for 3.30 in the morning. Uh, coach leaves the Emirates at five and hoping to get back like eight, half eight in the evening. So, but yeah, wouldn't change it for That's the a world. Massive commitment. Um, no, I'm, I, I am a bit disappointed that the only trains going into Liverpool from London arrive after kickoff. Like there's not a single train tomorrow that gets to Liverpool in time. Yeah, I, I saw there's there's one, but it's like, yeah, it's quite, I was, I was seeing on Twitter, someone was saying it's a bit, uh, it's not guaranteed basically. So yeah, you don't but I'm, ex- I'm excited though. It's like, I've got an unpopular opinion that I've got quite a soft spot for Everton as a football club. I think I'm quite, I'm one of those like traditional football fans, I think. So like where they've always been in the top flight, never been relegated. I just look at them as like a proper traditional club. And I know they've kind of gone in the toilet the last few years, but Goodison Park's always a ground I've wanted to go to um, because of that history. And it's quite nice to be able to tick it off before the new stadium works, right? And yeah, so it should be good. But yeah, very, very grateful, very fortunate, but can't wait to get myself there. Yeah, let's um. We'll go to our kind of predicted lineups. Obviously, there's been some news from Arteta in the presses and stuff already. So, yeah, couple shoutouts before that. Good to see uh, Mike Halpin here. Thanks Hello, for mate. tuning in. We've got Pontus Johansson. Good to see you, mate. Uh, good afternoon, FPL Finn. Thanks for tuning hey, in, guys. live buddy. And then finally, Delia. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> well, for anyone on podcast who can't read that. <laughs> Hello, lads. A little bit of a hangover today by that huge not, jug not of for water. Me. I was <laughs> good. Just, the, just the three Guinnesses for me, so I was fine. Nima, on the other hand. <laughs> yeah, like obviously I, I went for drinks at like just before 6pm and I was planning to leave at 8pm and be home by 9 last night and I didn't get home till after midnight. And I think I, think I turned up at like 8, right? So I probably... You were here after 8, yeah. I think once you arrived spontaneously, I, I couldn't leave and then... I think where I made the rookie error is at the end of the night when they were trying to kick everyone out, I had a shot of tequila and I think that tipped me over the edge. I feel yeah, horrendous so, today. So just for context for everyone, like people that may have missed this. So last night I was doing my thing. I was in Chinatown uh, and then Dan FPL fella, uh, obviously I'll put it on my Instagram. He messaged me saying, oh, come come for a drink, a railway tavern. I was like, okay, cool. Didn't even question it. It was like, yeah, fine. I'll, I'll swing by. And then I saw you there and um, Ed from Twitter as well. So yeah, it was just like a, purely spontaneous thing and then normal drinks right like normal people and then this guy neither so like the final rounds that everyone's getting 
and uh, Dan's wife's buying everyone around. And like normal people, yeah, I'll have a Guinness, I'll have a, a pint, this, that. And he was like, can I have a shot? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and now he's questioning why he's hung over. Like... <laughs> I don't help myself. Um... And it doesn't help that it's FPR deadline day today. So let's hope I don't make too many mistakes. Um, so I think obviously there's a this, this game's very exciting for me just from the perspective of obviously our manager himself coming from Everton to us in his early 30s. and Manager of the month again as well, by the way. Three that's now. incredible. That's three of them this season. Well, because he got the last two as well, didn't he? November, December. Um, I think he had oh, one earlier back in the season. Back. Oh, so shit. I think it's, he's had like all of them. Yeah, <laughs> like he's just been consecutively oh. getting them, which is incredible. Nice. Um, and quick shout out to FPL Sandwich as well. Thanks for tuning in live, mate. Uh, we won't keep you guys too long. Obviously, it's lunchtime here in the UK. Uh, we want to let you get back to work or to whatever you're doing this afternoon. But um, yeah, let's go straight to the kind of predicted lineup. And I guess just before you read this out for the podcast, I wanted to say there was some concerns, obviously, about Thomas Party. Um, yep. We know he got subbed off um, at halftime against City last week. And people said they didn't spot him in training. But when you look at the photos, he is there in the background just about in some of them. So he is at training, but Arteta kind of said, um, he's ne- we know Arteta's coy in his presses. He's never going to say, yeah, someone's fully fit. But I think what he said was as close as you're going to get to him saying, I will play him or I hope he will be ready to play. He's a doubt. It's the same words he said about Saka after Oxford. And then obviously we saw yeah. Saka start and tear uh, Tottenham a new one. So I think parties should be fine based on that. Um, if he's not, it will be interesting to see whether Jorginho gets thrown straight into the first 11. I think so it definitely that's quite will. exciting. It's, yeah. So, yeah, for what it's worth, I agree. I think, I think party will play. Like you said, there's been pictures of him in training. It's standard Arteta presser jargon. <laughs> um, like he likes to play bingo with the journalists, I think. But yeah, I later on, or like it could happen now, whenever you think it's right in the schedule of the show. But like, I've come round to Jorginho, you know. I think I've been doing a lot of homework on him. And obviously on the uh, pod we did midweek, I was saying, like, on the ball, don't doubt it. But off the ball, I had my worries. And I've come full circle and actually very happy, I'm going to say, with it. So should should I just quickly, like, it's 30 seconds. Yeah, I think let's talk about Jorginho now. Yeah, because I know you've obviously changed um, your your opinion a bit after kind of looking into it a bit more. So basically, yeah, just I'll be very quick because obviously we try to keep these short and sweet while it's at lunchtime. But basically where my head was at was I thought on the ball, fantastic option. Everything you said about the experience and I thought against uh, lower league teams in the Premier League specifically at home, he would be unbelievable. And like you touched on the experience later on in the run in, I thought different game states. If we need to kill off a game, he can come on and this and that. But I really worried and I was skeptical that if something happened to party, would we be able to rely on him for the rest of the season? And at at the time, I thought, no, that worried me. But then having done my research, I didn't realise his stats for interceptions and recoveries are insane, like really good. And he's been playing and obviously he's played in some fantastic Chelsea teams, but he's also been playing in some pony Chelsea teams recently. And I just thought, I compared it a lot to Xhaka under Emery. Do you remember like you'd see so many clips of Xhaka that would go viral where he'd be like doing something silly and that was all because he was left in acres and acres of space because of a poor system. We are one of the best drilled teams in the world. So systematically, and you look at the distances that people cover, they, they've got such small distances that the players operate within. So why I've come round to it is I saw the kind of stats about how good his interceptions are. I'm putting that two and two together with how good our system is and like the distances. And I just think as a unit, we press and regain the ball so well 
I don't think there's going to be a big need for him to be that last man did, like sliding in and stuff. I think it's all in his mind, right? And I think proactively he will be positioned in the right areas and he'll have the assistance from White and Zinchenko, whichever one tucks in. Like I said, as a unit, like that front five, the way they press, regain the ball. So I think the defensive side of his game may actually be eliminated and his kind of proactive interceptions kind of puts me at ease. So that that's kind of where I landed on it. Is it a case of me trying to justify whatever Arsenal does? Maybe, but that that's genuinely where I'm at right now. Um, yeah, I think yeah. the key thing is obviously like we know that a few years ago when he was like 27 years old and stuff, he was incredible, right? Um, and that was when Arteta was really keen on getting him back in 2019. Arteta really wanted him as a player. He highly rated him. He spoke about him in the way that he was kind of like, there are not many people who can play the six like him. He is like yeah. Busquets, Chabi Alonso. He was naming some of the most legendary central midfielders in recent history. And um, he sees him in that light. Um, I think, you know, it goes back to, do you remember when Arteta was talking about that like, kind of killed them by death by a thousand passes if you need yeah. to see out games? I feel like on the ball, he definitely brings that element. And I don't think he will be as isolated as he may have been at Chelsea playing in that position because you're right. Even when we watch Party, I've always noticed with Zinchenko playing that inverted role, whenever Party was getting kind of, I guess, um, pressed, he he was always there as an outlet for him. Zinchenko is He's always there. got He's three available. Four. Yeah. Everyone so, in our yeah. team on the ball has always got three options available. So yeah. And like his yeah, so I think like, like people talk yeah. about his pace and they're saying he's obviously a bit older now. And but I don't think we'll be relying on him from a pace point of view. I think system wise, like it's as Mike says in the chat, right? There's no way Arteta is going to play him in a way that will expose him and he'll try to make sure we play to his strength. So so that's exciting. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I bring that up because it seemed to tie in nicely with the kind of potential party injury news. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing you. is... Yeah, sorry, go, go on. on. It was probably the same thing I was going to ask. So I guess for the podcast listeners, what we've got here is the kind of standard 11 that's been churning out. Ramsdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, midfield free of party, Odegaard and Xhaka, and then front free of... Saka and Ketia and Martinelli. Uh, we had we didn't actually discuss this before I put this slide together. Martinelli, you think he starts? Any? Yeah, yeah. Comes? I'm really excited think... by the kind of the contract yeah. extension announcement. Um, the video, I love the video. Um, great, that, that, I think that quote. Every time he scores now, I think that quote is going to come up where he was like, "Oh, you know, like people come up to me, they're like, oh, you were class on the weekend, mate.' Like just the way yeah. he said that, I love that. Um, you know, obviously they had a clip from his interview. It was like. I just need a pen. Um, so he finally got the pen, it sounds like. And on to the next contracts of uh, Saliba and Saka, hopefully. But did you see that um, when we we always talk about them as a free because they're the free youngsters we wanted to tie down and like one out of three are done. But the latest news today implied that Xhaka contract renewal is also that. in the conversation. Yeah, just shows so, yeah, how that's he's elevated himself to like, he's, he's one of Arteta's key men, right? I think you'll see over the next phase of this project, I think Xhaka will end up being that guy that as he physically declines, I still think he'll be that guy in like big games. He's Arteta's go-to guy for a while, to be honest. But um, just on Martinelli, like, yeah, obviously fantastic news, but I don't know what, I've just got such a soft spot for him. Like I kind of look at him like a Halen boy. I don't know what it is, but there's something so like poetic about this guy that was just plucked from the lower leagues in Brazil to the English Premier League. And he's so humble, so hardworking. Like he's literally like a Duracell bunny, right? But his aptitude and his ability to just take things on board, try his hardest, work hard, and like everyone forgets about that massive injury he had as well. He's only twenty-one. Like to get where he's got 
uh, to be where he is and like his background and everything. I think it's such a nice story. And yeah, I'm just so glad he's ours to be honest. It could have quite closely been at Man United, right? So yeah, it was very close. Um, no, honestly, like I, I've always had a huge soft spot for Martinelli for years. And I think ever since he came in, we thought he was going to be like a developmental signing, go out on loan. And in that yeah. one preseason alone, he kind of worked his way into not being sent on loan and being kept as an option for the squad. Um, you know, when he came back from the injuries, he wasn't rushed back. Um, ho- I guess similar to kind of Smith Rowe right now. I know Smith Rowe's surgery was based on an issue he's had for years. And now yeah. he's kind of not going to be available for this weekend in the squad. He wasn't available in the yeah, that's cup. A um, it's a new so issue that's a as shame, well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it is. But I think it's just one of those things that it does happen when you've got such a serious um, kind of procedure that you've had. And it's similar to Martinelli, where when he first came back, it was very stop-start. I remember people saying, oh, he should be loaned out because Arteta doesn't want to play him. I think we just need to be patient with Smithrow and we shouldn't be rushing him based on our needs or our timelines. We should be focusing on him as a player. And that kind of yeah. reminds me of what we said last show about Lukonga, right? Selfishly, I would have loved him to stay just to have an extra backup, but we know he's not playing well enough right now. His confidence is shot. He's not going to get better without playing minutes. And actually it's in his best interest for him to go to Palace, work with a you know a coaching staff that includes Vieira and just try to play regular football in the Premier League yeah. and just get some of that confidence back. So it's one of those situations where just like how Lukonga went and we shouldn't selfishly try and keep him and we should go and see whether like he either increases his value or can come back and somehow be reintegrated. Similar with Smith Rowe, I feel we need to do what we did with Martinelli where he's just not rushed back and like we don't need to be rushing him just because we need a player to play and like legs. Yeah, We need to focus on making sure he can recover and then have the kind of... Um, I guess, accelerated trajectory that we've seen from Martinelli over the last year or two. Um, and, and then the final news, I guess, was that obviously we've seen Reese Nelson is also back. Um, so it's good. Yeah, to that's really good. There. Yeah, so that was very unfortunate with his injury, considering that at the time, like it was straight after the World Cup and he was doing quite well and he played in all the friendlies leading up to the restart. And yeah. so that was unfortunate for him. Good. So it's nice to see him back. Um, I think but in yeah, terms on... of news, is there anyone else like from the presser that you recall that we should mention, or is that kind of everyone? Do you think? No, that's everyone. I guess just back to the question on Martinelli v Trossard. Where yeah. percentage-wise, are you like hundred percent Martinelli starts? Um, I I know like signing a contract isn't like a guarantee of a start, but like I will be pretty I... shocked. Like I think if it's you a sign the factor. contract and you don't start. Yeah. So I think it's one of those things where it's like, how are you going to get someone to commit to 2027 and then like the next game drop them? Like you th- there is like a team morale and like people's individual moods that matter. And I think what we said last time was Trossard hasn't come in expecting to be first choice. He's come in yeah. knowing he has to work to get there and he <clears> wants <throat> to make it happen. But I think he'd also be a bit surprised if from like a couple of training sessions he suddenly goes straight in. So yeah, let's yeah, I, th- I think he's gonna be on the bench and come off. Like maybe, I think Martinelli will come off earlier in games uh, for Trossard, but it won't always be Martinelli. Like maybe Enketia's minutes also get affected, and yeah, Martinelli I goes through the, the middle, and Trossard yeah. comes in. He he's a versatile, adaptable person that can come in and give minutes and take minutes away from the legs of any of our front three, as you say. So yeah. so that's kind of the main what, thing. I think Martinelli starts. Yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Agree. I think he starts tomorrow. Um, I think like later on in the show when we do the FPL chunk, I've got some opinions on like later on and stuff that we can mm-hmm. have a chat about then. But one thing that just what you said about like the contract and narratives, FPL Twitter was making me laugh this week because Trossard was expecting 
well, his wife was expecting, and then they had a baby. So the narratives now are like, oh, Trossard's tired, Martinelli's buzzing, like stuff like that makes me laugh quite a bit. But I yeah, I think that. it'll be the same 11. Just one final question on this 11, because there is, like, I don't see Tierney starting over Zinchenko. So that debate we used to have at left back, I think that's gone for now. But yeah. is there a debate at right back? I do believe that obviously Tommy Astu gave an interview. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you saw it this Good week. Point. And yeah. he was very humble. And he said, obviously, like, I'm not starting. I know that. He's only started four Premier League games this season, but he's appeared in 23 games. So he was like, you know, I understand my role is different. Um, that's fine. And I will do whatever part I need to play. When you look at him, he's nearly universally always our first sub on Tommy Yasu in most games. In yeah. some games, he's been our only sub on, like against Newcastle at home. And, so what do you think? Do you think very... he continues to play that kind of role, like as like the first that's... sub? Or that's do you think he really might get that good... spot back one day? Yeah, that's a maybe. Should we keep that for the FPL bit as well? But like just on yeah. the actual, the actual lineup for tomorrow. That's a really good point. I didn't even consider him, and he was really impressive against City. Uh, it was really good when he came on against Man United as well. Um, yeah, so for what it's worth, tomorrow, I think it's White that plays again, because uh, mm-hmm. I think Arteta won't want to disrupt that whole unit. But yeah, maybe later later on in the show, I think. There's definitely a chat to be had there, actually. Yeah, good shout. Should we keep cool. that for let's, later then? Yeah, let's do, do that in the final bit. Um, we'll just look at Everton's lineup, do some score predictions, and then we'll talk about the FPL side. I think we try to get out um, by 30 minutes. So try to keep the show to 30 minutes, hopefully. Um, and we'll take some questions. So if you have questions, put so them in the hard. live chat. This is so hard to predict where it's a new manager, right? So the Everton team that lost 2-0 to West Ham was they played three or five at the back, whoever you want to call it, with wing back. So it was Jordan Pickford in goal, obviously. Back three was Mina, Cody and Tarkovsky. And the wing backs were Mikolenko and Coleman. And then they had a double pivot of Gay and Onana. And then the front three of Damari Gray, Awobi and Calvert-Lewin. I think Sean Dyche is going to come in for Mike Bassett, four, four, fuck into. And I think he's just going to, yeah, I think he's going to rock up with a four, four, two, but... I don't know Everton well enough to know who would drop out in that sense. Cause I think if you're going four, four, two, I don't think you have a Wobie and center midfield personally. I think you probably stick with like a gay and Anana two engines, right? Um, I feel but... for Anana and a Wobie because I think this is the end of their days playing the kind of exciting positions they were. And I think they're going to yeah. be playing in like a double pivot going forwards and like only one of them will play, as you say, potentially, and they'll be oh, in a really? double pivot. You think with Anana as well? I think Anana will be quite pivotal to Daesh. I, I think a Wobie won't get a chance to... Like, I, I might be wrong. I don't see... Sean Dyche playing with two number eights, right? That's like, what I mean. So one of them is going to drop out. And then, yeah. then there's not good. I guess the thing is, like, if you look at Awobi this season, Ronana, they've very much been able to kind of progress the ball forward. They can be part of the build-up play. It feels like the way that they're going to line up is going to be that, like, whoever plays there, the, whether it's Ronana or Awobi, their only job is going to be to pass sideways to the wing and hope that, like, someone can hoof the ball up to the forwards. That, that's what I feel like. It's just yeah. straight 4-4-2, keep hoofing the ball long. Like, he, um, he just survive relegation, basically. Someone that did well under Daesh at Burnley was McNeil, right? And obviously, he's at Everton yeah. now. And two thoughts here. One is, I wonder if he'll get some joy out of Awobi on the wing again. Uh, mm-hmm. Not necessarily for tomorrow, but just long-term his development. And second, I wonder if McNeil becomes his guy again. Like, I wonder if he uses him. But, yeah, for tomorrow, I, I think it'll be, like I said, 4-4, four, four, fucking 2. Um, I think it'll be, like, low block. I think that... 
I don't personally buy into new manager bounce and all of that sort of stuff, but I do buy into, I think a new manager will come in and try. Obviously you can't change everything in a week, but I do think there'll be basic principles of their play that they look to kind of impose straight away. So for Daesh, it will be the low block, get it out wide, get crosses into Calvert-Lewin, right? But for me, I feel like the one thing we do quite well every episode, which I really enjoy doing, is I feel like we look at like tactical matchups and stuff, right? And we try to exploit the opponent. I think this is difficult because it's like a blank canvas. So for me, tomorrow is all about Arsenal turning up and just playing our game. And I think just letting Everton worry about us. I think just not, I think every pod we do, we fixate on like a certain area that we could hurt the opposition. I yeah. think tomorrow we just need to go and play our game and just know that we have, if we turn up and play our game, we're more than enough to beat them. I know they've got a low block, but we have the ability to unlock low blocks now, which we haven't had in previous seasons. And I just think it's a case of turn up, play our game. We are so well coached and structured in all areas of the pitch now that we've got the ability to hurt teams from the left, center and right. So I think it's all on us tomorrow. And I don't think we should overly fixate on what will Everton do this that I think it's just the case of play our game don't be cocky though be humble about it and should be more than enough I think yeah I guess just to wrap that up I agree with you I do think that the only game this season where we actually kind of maybe didn't quite play our game was the Leeds match which I don't know how we won that game but we did somehow and um (laughs) despite the scares and the last minute penalty appeals and VAR and it, it was a chaotic game but that was a game where we definitely didn't play our game um I think tomorrow you're right. Like we don't know. Like we we can predict Daesh will go to this formation that he's used to using, but we have no idea like what level of it he can implement within a week. And I think Arteta will tell the boys. He said just we just got to keep playing our way and not worry about other teams. Just focus on us. The good thing is, unlike when we played Newcastle earlier in the you know the January restart, I do feel now we have that kind of added depth off the bench that if we are yeah. struggling to score or create. We can send on the likes of Trossard, Vieira. You know, maybe Nelson's going to be back. You know, there's there's opportunities to change the scope of the control, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So there's a few options, which is quite good. And also, just I I don't really believe in these kind of uh, data points, but Daesh does have a very bad history against us um, when you look at just pure results. Does he? Different teams, very bad. Like Daesh has struggled to. I remember we had we we gave Burnley a few slappings, especially at home. But I also remember a few where we kind of. Got just got over the line, so yeah, yeah. cool. All right, let's do our predictions then. So, still, at, you know what? We predict to win every week recently, so we basically stay at 84% correct outcome because we've not got any more wrong. Because, like, yeah. every week we predict we win, and every week we've been winning. We, How long that can continue, I don't know. <laughs> we've not had a correct score for a long time, though. <laughs> yeah, it feels like those days are long gone, isn't it? We used to actually yeah. correct scores sometimes as well. So, used up all do, of that tax in the first few weeks, I think. <laughs> We did. So what are we thinking here? Because I'm thinking away from home this season, we have kept pretty much most of our clean sheets, like seven or eight of them. So I think that we are very sound away from home. I don't think um, Everton will have too much. Like I'm not convinced that a 4-4-2 with long balls to Calvert-Lewin is going to like be something that Saliba and Gabriel can't handle. So mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty confident of the clean sheet. So I'll start by saying that. And I would be hoping that we can unlock them to at least a 2-0. That, that's kind of where I'm sitting. What about you? We've gone for the same thing. I think exact oh, same we? and same kind of logic as well. I think the element of control, I think, is going to be very, very apparent tomorrow. I think like 
you know how like Brentford away levels of control. I, I think it could be like that tomorrow if we just lock down our game, kind of get there. For what it's worth, I think the atmosphere there will probably be all right. But there's something about the 12.30 games that <clears throat> I don't think fans get as uh, intimidating in that environment. So I do think it will be a case of us turning up kill the game quite early and then just knock it about do our thing and just take suck the life out of them which is what we can do so well so i think it'll be like that and like you i predict the only way they'll try and hurt us is crosses into the box but i feel comfortable with the two man mountains we've got in there and also the way we can well we're very good at stopping crosses as well right so yeah yeah, yeah that's I, true i feel like it would have to be something go catastrophically wrong to be honest, and uh, like red card, like individual errors sort of thing. But obviously I've got a little bit of PTSD from last season there. So who knows? But yeah, 2-0 to the arse for me. Let's um, just get some of the score predictions from the live chat yeah. from the viewers. What's the chat so, saying? So Mike Halpin's gone for a 1-0 Arsenal win. 1-0 to the Arsenal. Classic. 3-0 Arsenal win from Pontus. 2-0 uh, from FPL Sandwich. Um, Pontus did originally say 3-0 to uh, Everton, but he quickly corrected that. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Um, all right, let's... Um, so if there's any questions, put them in. Um, we've only really got like five minutes. So we'll start talking about the FPL side of things. And if you see any questions, we'll pull them up just to try and address one or two of those quick fire before the end. From yeah, an FPL so... point of view, I guess the question is like, if you don't already have free Arsenal assets, like who would you be targeting? But then also maybe if you had a clean slate, like if you were to have a brand new FPL team today... What are actually, in both our opinions, the three best Arsenal assets if you didn't have to worry about like me where I've already got Ben White, for example, and yeah. I, like that that takes up one of my three slots, for instance, and so, there's the Tommy Yasu worry I told you about. Yeah. So before we go on to those three, should we just touch on those things that we kind of parked for now? So the White-Tommy Yasu thing, I personally have no doubt that White is first choice and will continue to be for the foreseeable, personally. I think... The thing that happened against Man United for me has been so overblown. I think it was a case of he wasn't playing well. He was on a yellow card. He was against one of the most informed wingers in the league. I think that's as simple as that personally. And I think people are reading way too much into it. Is there a scenario where on February the 15th, I could see Tomiyasu being used? Yes. But for me, that's a lot. That's a big, that's a much smaller percentage than I think the others that I've seen kind of pushing that as an idea. I, I think Ben White is Arteta's guy. I think he's so crucial to the way we attack and defend. And I just think that's been so overblown. So I own White in FPL and I've got no intention of shifting him. None whatsoever. And he would still be... Okay, that's a lie. <laughs> I was going to say he would still be one of my three that I'd go for if it was a blank slate, but it would be Zinchenko. But that's because of bonuses. That's not because I'm worried about White's minutes or anything. So that's my opinion on White and Tommy Esu quickly. Secondly, Martinelli Trossard. While I agree, I think tomorrow Martinelli wholeheartedly starts. I don't think his starts are as secured going forward as everyone else seems to think. I think I'm on my own there. And I'm not trying to convince people here. I'm just giving my opinion. Like you touched on earlier and we've said in previous episodes, I don't think Trossard has been signed to just get 20 minutes here and play the Europa League. And he, like, I try not to psychoanalyze these things because you never really know, but he looks fucking hungry, right? And his performance off the bench against Man United, his performance at Man City, his drive. He's got he's got more to his game than I realise. He's not just a little neat, tidy player in pockets. He's got that powerful drive on him as well. And I think what we're going to see more of, which we've not really seen so far from Arteta, but for me, it's more because of the lack of options that he's had. 
I think now, I said in a previous episode, we have the ability to switch things depending on opposition and game state, right? You saw it against Man United. For me, this was the biggest indication of where I think Arteta's team selections are going to go going forward. The Man United game, we, we were doing fine, right? More than fine. But then he switched it up. Martinelli, in my opinion, recently, it's been a tactical instruction for him to hold that whip so Zinchenko can do his thing. The, the left-hand side in our team is operating differently post-Jesus injury, post-Christmas, than it was before, right? And that's obvious. It's because of Jesus' strengths, where he was linking up, and it's we're playing differently because of Enketia. It's nothing... Martinelli's not playing badly. I just think it's going to be a case of, like Man United, he then made a switch where Trossard played on the inside, and Zinchenko was playing... He was playing centrally, but he was also on the outside a lot more than he usually is. And I think this is what we're going to see going forward. You know how Pep picks, well, Luke Disable kind of analyzes Pep's selections, and it's specifically against opponents. I think we're going to be seeing this a lot more with Arteta, and it wouldn't surprise me against some low blocks where Trossard gets a start out of nowhere. And if I had to just kind of summarize, I don't think I think Trossard gets three or four starts in the league until the end of the season. When they are, I don't know, but I wouldn't put Martinelli at hundred percent like the narrative seems to be. But that's kind of where yeah. I'm I think especially one. when Europa starts as well, things will really start to take a turn in March. I think and see where we are in the league then. But um, I guess one thing I want to say about Martinelli is you're right. Like when Jesus was there, I felt like their kind of connection and link up play was they were just telepathic almost and. Jesus did go to the left a lot and allow Martinelli to float in more centrally. And it seems with Jesus gone, I think we've said before, it feels that Enketia and Saka have a great chemistry. And so, like, actually, like, Martinelli's been pushed all the way to the width. But people talk about, like, you know, he's not been performing from an FPL point of view recently in the same level of, say, Odegaard or Saka or Enketia himself. And I get it. But when you look at, like, that's just output. That's just goals and assists. When you yeah. look at the underlying numbers... They're all still also very even. Like, I get yeah. that Enketia has, like, the highest goal-scoring numbers um, underlying. Odegaard has the highest chance creation numbers underlying. Saka is not the top of any of the metrics, but still performs at a crazy level, as we know. Like, we consider him world-class, we were saying these days, at his young age. With Martinelli, I think we just... I don't know. Like, I guess people just kind of see the shiny new toy, right? Like, someone else is getting points now. And I think in our team, our front four, they're all going to get points. And it's just, you don't know which week they're going to get it. Now, the reason I brought this up is that Martinelli, I believe he's actually had like the most penalty area touches in the Arsenal team by a significant distance since the restart. So the fact oh, that really? like, these haven't resulted in goals or assists does not mean that he's not still in the same threatening position, still doing like, yes, he's wider. But like I think you saw against um, in the last match, he tried to run past like two, three City players when he came on yeah. in the box. And he, and he does this move a lot, right? Like he almost just keeps going and sees how far he can get to the byline and how close to the goalkeeper and goal he can get before he then tries to cross it into Odegaard or Saka to just score like a wonder goal from him. Yeah. But he does get very close into the action areas and he takes a lot of touches in the box still. So for me personally, I've seen some people moving him on. I think in the chat, people have mentioned they might be having to sell him. I think I'm not going to be selling <laughs> him yet. that. I think I'm. I might be. You are be. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They were talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's but it's not because of his lack of points, or it's just like where I want to get to. I I want Saka. So don't take FPL advice from me, right? Like I'm just here to kind of talk about the context around how we play, and then I think you do FPL a lot better than I do. But the one thing I want to add to that point though is 
look at the teams we've been playing recently and the fullbacks as well, right? They've been like Wan Bissaka for all of his flaws, a very good 1v1 defender. He's been up against Trippier. Like, who else? there was someone else as well. I forgot mine's gone blank. But look at the teams we've got coming up. I just think. Although I played Sessignon as well, or was Sessignon on the Saka wing? No, Sessignon was on yeah, the Saka Sessignon's wing. Yeah, Sessignon's on the left. Um, and also, he's not very good. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is we've had a combination of a system tweak and that's also shown in Jacko, right? His positioning and his arrivals into the box. They've kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, so I do think his role has been tweaked, but I don't think it's to a detrimental effect to his FPL credibility for me personally. I do worry about his starts going forward long-term. Like I think one bad performance, I think Arteta will switch it out personally. He has um, the option think, now, whereas he didn't before, yeah. And I think we need to start paying a bit more attention to opposition and game state, I think, because we've got that kind of luxury now to be able to switch it up, and I think he'll take full advantage of that. Um, but so yeah, if you would start just, from scratch, who would be? Yeah, because my free is really ask. clear in my head. Like It go, would go just be it. straight up Enketia, Odegaard, Saka. I would go triple attack, get yeah, those free, attack, yeah. and just forget about the issues and worries about um, Martinelli. Like, as someone no. who doesn't want to move on Martinelli and White in my current team, my difficulty now is I've got to make a hard decision of, do I go in Ketia, knowing that Jesus is back on the grass? And I don't think he'll be back for at least four or five games. We'll probably get through the blank game week 25 with Nketia still starting. But eventually that can be a problem. So then I'm like, do I want to go there? And then equally, do I can't quite get to Saka. So it's like, do I go for Odegaard? And then Odegaard and Nketiah are a similar price. And that's where I'm kind of stuck at the moment. But in an ideal world, I wouldn't be having to make that decision. I'd yeah. have Nketiah and Odegaard plus Saka and White and Martinelli would leave. But I can't be using transfers like that when no, they're so finite. This is why I say don't listen to me because one of the transfers I'm looking at is Martinelli to Saka for a hit, right? So don't, <laughs> don't listen to me on that stuff. But for what it's worth, my three would be Zinchenko, Saka and Ketia. Zinchenko for me, I think defensively we're going to be racking up the clean sheets if you look at our upcoming run. And as the boys on above average FPL always illustrate, Zinchenko is a bonus monster. And yeah, I just think, was he now five million or so? I think that's yeah, about going five, to be a yeah. steal. Um, Saka speaks for itself, really. I think he, for me, he's the number one asset at Arsenal for me personally. And then thirdly, Enketia. Yeah, he's, he's shown, right? Like you and I have like been Like 6.6 his... million, yeah, for the starting yeah. striker at the like, club we... running away with the league. Yeah, I was bullish on him from the restart, right? Like I said, were. Arsenal are fixture-proof now and like people struggle to proactively see that. But I don't worry about Jesus coming back for a while. I think, like you said, he's on the grass. Um, I think we'll ease him in. I think the plan is kind of get him back, but kind of ease him in in the Europa League sort of thing. And then let like Nketiah doesn't deserve to be dropped either, right? So I think I don't think Jesus is going to go flying back in. I think he's going to like have to earn his spot. Um, so yeah. I just think, just in general, as a rule of thumb, I feel like making decisions on ifs and buts so far away just it's always a yeah. Bit I of feel a... like it's too far away to be worrying about um, Jesus now to not go for Nketiah today. Like it's just it, it, like I just can't like. Like, look how much Haaland costs for City. And, like, I know Nketiah's not Haaland. He's not scoring the same number of no, goals. But... but, like, but like, it, it, he's half the bloody price for the team who compete for the title. He has the most XG of any of our players. He's just hogging the XG since he got introduced into the team. And, mate, th- look at the 
the fixtures he's come in and played against. Do you remember what the narrative was at the start? It was like, oh, the, the fixture run, this, that. Look at the run we've got now. Like, if you look yeah, just after think, the City game, things look so good. We've been dominating the ball against these in these tough fixtures. Imagine now against the teams that are actually going to hold off against us and not like we're going to have teams pinned in their half so frequently over the upcoming stretch that I think there'll be a lot of three, four nil wins. You know, I really do. Yeah. I think especially at home. Fuck me. I've, you know, that forest five nil. OK, yeah. five nil is like a big scoreline. But I, I think there'll be a lot of drubbings coming up uh, in this run. I really do. I hope so. so I, man. I like the concept of triple attack that you've gone forward there, but I'm just, I'm a bit weird like that. There's no logic to it. I just like the idea of having one defender and then two attackers from like the best teams. And to be fair, it is worth adding. There is logic in that because Arsenal's defensive ownership numbers are quite high. And right, every okay. time they keep a clean sheet, if you don't have one of them, you really need your triple attack to be firing. You can't have one of them blanking. Yeah, so like there is definitely, it's a much more high risk, high reward strategy. I think the safer option is to definitely have one of the defenders and then maybe Saka and then Ketia and you just have to forego Odegaard for now. Cool. All right, let's uh, get out of here. We're at 36 minutes, 37 minutes, but um, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, Up the Arsenal. Good luck on your coach travel to the Merseyside tomorrow. Yeah, and thanks to everyone for tuning in. Yeah, obviously it's it's never easy on a Friday lunchtime, but appreciate it. Yeah, on to the toffees at Merseyside. Up the Arsenal. Up the Arsenal. We'll see you guys after the weekend for the review. Peace.